2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 6. If you would, please, follow with the reading of the Word of God. Beginning of verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, and yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Father, help us to hear your words. Help us to understand the servant's loyalty, the servant's devotion. And Father, may we understand that this is part of spiritual warfare. And that, Father, it is in that loyalty that we shall fight the good fight. Help us, my King, my Lord, to understand that, Father, you would open our hearts and our minds that we be filled with simplicity and the purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen. When I was last with you, I kind of set a framework to move into this text. I want to kind of get back on that a second that uh, what you're looking at in chapter 10 through the end of the book is basically spiritual warfare and the elements that make up spiritual warfare. I hear a lot spoken and written about spiritual warfare, and most of it, uh, sadly, is bogus because spiritual warfare is dealing with speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. And so when you think about spiritual warfare, it, it is, is as simple as this. It is a fight for the mind. It is a fight for the thinking habits and the thinking processes that you and I, every day we deal with. And we're always inundated, we're bombarded with stuff on a continual basis that is close. It's close. But see, if you go look and see what the Greek word for sin is, it just means miss the mark. And, and that's kind of what we are dealing with. One of the things that I have noticed uh, in my time with the Apostle Paul is that he never brought attention to himself. What we know about the ministry of the Apostle Paul, what he did and what he accomplished, came by Luke in the book of Acts. If you go look at what the Apostle Paul writes himself, he never really spends much time for himself. And he was very uncomfortable to commend himself. Okay. In spite of that, this letter is written to defend himself. All right. One of the things that you and I have to pay attention to is, is that we do this because of a simple reason. It is for the sake of the message. It is for the sake of truth. That's the only reason the Apostle Paul is even coming in with 2 Corinthians. All right, we have to keep this in mind because Paul never brought emphasis to himself. Remember, there was a letter written from the Corinthians to the Apostle Paul. Then Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. 
Okay, he made a surprise visit to the church in Corinth, and he was confronted by false teachers, and nobody in the church defended him. So he went back, and he wrote a letter sent by Titus called the Severe Letter. It broke the heart of the true believers in the church in Corinth. Okay, they changed. They repented. They wanted a restoration of the relationship between those people and the Apostle Paul. That's why now he writes 2 Corinthians because he understands that the false teachers are still there. They're just a little more low profile than they were. And he's dealing with them now. And he starts getting, in beginning in chapter 11, he starts getting very poignant to them. All right. Why? Because he's already showed us that what the battle was for. Okay, now he will start showing us, and it's almost done in a contrast of what a loyal servant looks like and what a disloyal servant looks like. So he is defending his character, his integrity, because he wants the message to go forth as truth. See, the, the plan is, if I discredit the messenger, then I can discredit his Message. And that was the attack. There are times when you don't want to make a personal defense. Okay? We never defend ourselves to preserve ourselves. Alright? I, I, I see a lot of people who will. Alright? It is only for the proclaiming of truth that there is a defense. All right. False. We're trying to destroy Paul's reputation. Why? Because then I can discredit his message. And listen, I, I, I can tell you this. I can tell by reading the Apostle Paul and my 20 years in ministry that it is a struggle to be falsely accused. And yet not take it personally. Uh, I have had a number of things that have happened in my life. I have a number of pastors who are very dear friends of mine. And I'll call them up and they'll say, well, this is what's going on. And they say, well, don't take it personally. And so I ask them, I said, well, did you take it personally? And they said, well, of course. <laughs> we just don't want you to. <laughs> because it's it's hard, okay? One of the things that I that, that I see with the Apostle Paul that has really helped me is that I don't make an issue of it. Paul never made an issue of the personal attacks. Okay, Really smart people call it ego protection. You can't attack back on that framework. Because, you know what, I hate to break the news to you. I know that it won't fit in what we're taught today. But we are not important. The message is important. Do we understand that? Okay, that's why the Apostle Paul called himself a clay pot. An earthen vessel. Okay? The place of the servant of the Lord, the place of the teacher of truth, is a valuable enough to preserve that. Not the person. The action of that person and what God has called that person to do is important. Okay? So, it was necessary for the Apostle Paul to defend his character, who he was. If, now listen, you go look at the scandals. Uh, I've seen another pastor bit the dust. And it was so bad that Lifeway Publishing took all of his books off the shelf. And 
Lifeway has absolutely no discernment. Uh, and, and so I was kind of stunned that you're like, they took the books off the shelf. What, what does that mean? And, and he, uh, he was published a lot. And his main theme that he liked to speak of was grace and graciousness. Then when this all came out, there was impropriety with women. There was impropriety with church funds. And they actually, he, they fired him and they, he wouldn't leave. And so they had to actually bring cops in and, and escort him from the facilities. And you're like, wow, dude's hardcore. Why? He's protecting himself. His name's Driscoll, in case you're wondering. Okay. I haven't read any of his stuff. Every time you go to a Christian bookstore, I used to be able to see his stuff. But, you know, um, he's gone. He's you now nah, he'll start the second Driscoll church. But anyway, I share that with you because you look at his publications and you think, wow, this is awesome. Then all of a sudden these accusations show up and you think, well, you know, somebody's attacking him. That was his response. But all of a sudden you got all of these people. Okay, and then the financial part of it and all these other accusations. And so the leadership of the church uh, fired him. Why? If I look at the scandals that I, in just my lifetime, every time that I watch it, um, I see the man defending self, protecting his eagle, ego. And you know what? I believe that that is a common characteristic of a false teacher. Because it all of a sudden, when it's exposed, it all of a sudden becomes about them. And if you look at what they've done, what was it about? Them. Okay? Their loyalty gets exposed to the light, and their loyalty is to self-preservation. The attacks on the Apostle Paul forced him to write this. You go through the writings of the Apostle Paul, he never speaks of himself. Only when his integrity was attacked, that would attack the truth, the message he was given, then he would deal with it and defend his integrity. And he does that through this letter, this second letter of Corinthians. And he does it because he knows that some of the false, some of their um, schemes and... uh, Listen, they'd already taken the church and turned them against the Apostle Paul. So he knew that the church was vulnerable. All right? So now he's going to defend and remind everybody of his integrity and his character. All right, we move into this text I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. Paul understanding that the gospel was at stake. Okay? And he starts out chapter 11. Okay? You see in verse 2, 4, and 5, the word for. Okay? It's the word gar in the Greek, and it literally means to introduce the next thought. For this reason, okay, I make this statement, and for this reason. So he introduces it. You read there, and it says, bear with me a little foolishness, okay, for this reason, okay. That's why I want you to bear with me, for this reason. Why? Your loyalty is at test. Your devotion is on the line. All right? He uses this. And and last time I was with you, I gave you the illustration of the wisest man of wisest man known to mankind. Solomon. How loyal to God was Solomon? 
And yet, David told him, if you don't do anything, stay loyal to God. Then David's prayer before his death was that Solomon would stay loyal to God. I'm seeing a pattern here. This must be important. And yet Solomon didn't. The Apostle Paul understood this. If you look at chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, apart from such external things, this is where he goes through and explains what he's been through. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. This is a key verse. It's missed very often. It's very, very something that you really have to pay attention to. Okay, have you ever thought about that? When I think about people who are in church leadership, one of the things that I watch for the most is their concern for the church. Okay, why? Read verse 29. Who is weak without my being weak? He, now he defines what his concern is. Who is weak without my, my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Now listen, I know a lot of people who are concerned about the church, but all they do is what? Tell you they are concerned about the church. Okay? They bellyache about well, this person or that person or this system or that thing. I watched a church split because they t- instead of taking up the offering... They decided that they would put offering boxes in the back. And as you were leaving, you could drop your offering into the box. And the church split over it. That sounds like a bunch of people that are truly concerned about the church. Okay? But that's the kind of stuff that I want you to think about. Because when a saint in the body of Christ is weak, guess what? That should be a concern of ours. Every single one of us. That should bother us. That should say, I need to try to strengthen this person. Okay? Normally what we do is, I don't think they're saved. Why? I don't have to do nothing. That's exactly what we do. You know what, I, I read a book years ago, written, uh, I think in the 1800s, and it was called Shooting Our Wounded. And I thought, you know what, we do that. Why? Well, that person's weak. They are of no use to me. Well, what about your concern for the church? Listen, when I think about loyalty... When I think about our devotion, when I think about, okay, here is a servant of God. All right. Now, Jesus said we can't serve two masters. We know that. I mean, you don't have to be a theologian to understand that. All right. So we know that. So when I think about the servant of God, I have to ask a simple question. What is their loyalty? What is it that they are devoted to? And how would I describe it? It's easy. The most serious issue of your lives, every single believer's life, is your devotion. This is what it's described as. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, 
strength. Devotion of God is your essence. All that you are. Everything you are. Devoted to God. Devoted to God. So let's look at this. That is a servant's loyalty. That is devotion. Okay. First part of verse 2. Loyalty to God. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Loyalty to God is a jealousy for God. It is a, and, and what Paul's doing here is he's saying, it's not me that I'm worried about. It's you that I'm worried about. Why? Well, at the end of chapter 11, what does he say? In 28, 29. My daily concerns for the church. Why? Who can be weak in the body of Christ and it not affect me? Who can be enticed by sin and it's not a crushing me? Why? Because of my immense loyalty to, to God. Listen, you cannot be loyal to God and faithless to the body of Christ. It's impossible. The manifestation of Jesus Christ is where? The body of Christ. I mean, that, that kind of drives me nuts. Have you noticed? Paul says, it's not me I'm worried about. It's you that I'm worried about. I am not concerned. Paul was not concerned about his Christian experience. He was not concerned about his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He was loyal to him. He was concerned with the Corinthians. He was grieved that they would be seduced away. As Eve was deceived Perhaps you will be drawn to the false, drawn to sin, drawn to error, drawn to a self-aggrandizement, to self-needs. Look how easy that takes off. You go look at the mega churches in our community right now and what is the focus? Just go listen to them. Well, better not. Okay? Okay. But it is easy to entice people when I'm talking that it's all about you. But then what happens to your loyalty if it's all about you? It's tragic. Okay. Now he says here, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Okay, now, what he's trying to say, now look at the context here. He says, bear with me a little foolishness. What might appear to you as foolishness is an extreme concern that is motivated by godly jealousy. Do you see that? That's awesome when you think about it. You may think it's a little foolish. But the motive behind it is my godly jealousy. See, There was a jealousy in the heart of the Apostle Paul because the Corinthian believers had betrayed God. The jealous because of their lack of devotion, because their lack of loyalty. Okay, this jealousy is not selfishness. You know, look at what I did and you guys tore it up. That's not what this is. Okay, it was a godly jealousy. The jealousy for God 
had brought out his passion and extreme concern to bring the Corinthians back. You are being disloyal to God and I am jealous for God. Okay? Now listen, I want you to think about that for a second. Think about what I just said. You are being disloyal to God and I am jealous for God. You know what that is? Righteous indignation. Did you get that? That's righteous indignation. When you get mad at your spouse, that is not righteous indignation. Okay? Out of your jealousy for God and someone who is dishonoring God, that is righteous indignation. That is a righteous jealousy. The Corinthians in their treatment of the Apostle Paul showed their disloyalty to God because Paul was God's servant, God's messenger. And let's be realistic. It was, you didn't have to be a theologian to understand who the Apostle Paul was loyal to. Listen, this is a theme that runs a few years. When Israel was being given the law, okay, God was revealing Himself to the slaves that had been set free in the letter to the letter of Exodus, chapter twenty, verse five. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, listen, how jealous am I? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. You worship something other than God. Guess what you're saying? You hate God. And he says, you will pass that on to the next generation and the next generation. And I will bring my iniquity on all. I'm a jealous God. You should have no other gods before me. Nothing before me. Okay? Now then, Jehovah is a jealous God. You shall have no other gods. Now remember what he's doing there in Exodus. He's giving you the law. Okay? The next time you see the legal coming down is the book of Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy means second law. Okay? This is the law that was given to Israel because now they're getting ready to claim the promised land. All right? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. See that? Now listen, there's one thing I learned a long time ago, and I'll be honest with you, I learned it the hard way, is that if the Bible repeats something, it means two things. One, we are thick and lumpy. And two, I mean it. Okay? Okay? So, go over chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, verse 9. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity on the fathers and on the children of the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me. Well, I think I just heard that. All right, chapter 6. Verse 15, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a 
jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Huh. I think he means it. What do you think? How about uh, chapter 32, verse 16? They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. Okay? And for whatever reason, that goofy Israel, they kept testing it. I wonder if he really means it. Go read the book of Judges. Yeah, he really meant it. In uh, Joshua 24... Joshua has taken over control. He has led Israel, or is leading Israel into the promised land. Dealing with the land of Canaan. 24 verse 19. 24 verse 19. Joshua says to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a... Jealous God, He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Okay? Now, if that's not important and those verses can't convict you, then what do you do with Nahum 1-2? He is a jealous God. What do you do with Psalm 78-58? He is a jealous God. He is a consuming fire. I'm seeing a pattern. I'm also seeing that we are thick and lumpy because we all provoke Him at times. And yet I, he says, I will pass this on to generations. And you know what? I don't think he's lying about it. Now, I, I want to give you one that is very dear to my heart. At, 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 well, the, the whole chapter is. But I, I want you to think about it. The Apostle Paul is feeling the pain of God's jealousy at the defection of the Corinthians. Okay. Paul was in tune with the heart of God. And when people were not loyal to God, Paul knew it. Because why? God is a jealous God. Here's one that we miss occasionally. It's out of the Psalms 69.9. For the zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you has fallen on me. Okay, the zeal for your house has eaten me up. Alright? Now, you say, well, what's that got to do with... Well, it's kind of fascinating if you think about it. We all remember a a, a time, John's Gospel, chapter 2... And he found in the temple those who were selling, verse 14 and following, the oxen and the sheep and the doves and the money changers were seated at their tables. He made a scourge of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned the tables. Those who were selling doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remember that it was written... 
of the Psalms. Zeal for your house will consume me. The Lord Jesus Christ's passion was the heart of God. And when he saw how God was being dishonored, what did he do? See, Paul and the true servant of the Lord has a loyalty to God and that passion for worship of the true God in the true way should eat you up. Now think about that. Think about the stuff that we call worship today and ask yourself a question. Does that bring honor to God? And is it loyal to what God calls for worship? Because they weren't worshiping God in the temple when Jesus walked in. It had become a place of business. Paul's concern for the Corinthians was they weren't doing it. If you go read 1 Corinthians, you'll see that their worship service was chaos. Everybody was standing up and speaking. Some people in gibberish. Some people in foreign languages. Everybody wanted to say, I'm a prophet. Everybody wanted to be a teacher. Everybody wanted to bring attention to themselves. And it was dishonoring to God. And Paul was... Eat up over it. People have corrupted worship. People have corrupted honoring God. People have perverted it throughout history. I mean, do you realize the audacity of someone who can look you in the eye and say, I worship in my own way? Do you know that? What arrogance do you have? You're telling God how you're going to do it? Really? Warning. Don't say that to me. Even if you think it, don't ever say that to me. I'll make me a scourge with cords. Paul was so passionate that God would be worshipped and honored that it ate him up. That was his loyalty to God that came out of a godly jealousy because he understood the heart of the Lord God Almighty. And he knew he was worthy of worship, he was worthy of honor. Paul was so passionate that God would be worshipped and honored. Further, Paul also understood that when it wasn't, that that reproach had fallen on him. That reproach. When a person can tell you that I worship in my own way, that reproach falls upon God, should fall upon the servant of God. When you hear people tell you what worship is, and it has anything to do with music, that reproach should fall on you. If you're in tune with God. Because music comes out of worship. And I have not understood. What have we done? I was talking to a guy who goes to a big church. Big huge church and all the rest of it. And I said, well, tell me. What do you like about it? big church? We got three services. And we got about a thousand people in each service. And we got missionaries. And we got this. We got that and all the rest of it. So I asked him. I said, so what do you like the most? About your church. You know what he's told me? It's loud. What the heck does that mean? 
It's loud? Oh yeah, it's loud. What Does he yell at you? No, the music is loud. And that's what you like about your church. You know what they say about that? Hallelujah. I mean, and I, I just sit there and go, I don't even know how to, I don't even know what to say about that. It's loud. I like my church. You know what I like about mine? It's quiet. <laughs> I, I don't know. Why, I mean, you realize how silly that is. I remember going and seeing uh, Santana. <laughs> now that was loud. I was sitting catty corner to the stage just this way. And they'd just come up on stage and everybody was up to the stage. I mean, right at the stage and they're looking up at Carlos. And I mean, and they're, just, and they're right just jammed up there. Man, he hit that first note. They moved in unison back 10 feet. It was like magic. And I was like, man, you guys are going to be deaf in about seven seconds. Anyway. When God is dishonored, Paul felt the pain. The disloyalty of the Corinthians had caused the pain in Paul's heart that was directly proportionate to the pain in God's heart. Okay, listen. That is a person who has an intimate relationship with the living God. Living God. When you feel the pain of God's dishonor, then you know Psalm 69.9. When God is dishonored and it pains you with a crushing heartbreak, then you understand what Psalmist meant in 69.9. That was the crushing pain when Jesus walked into the temple. That's when the disciples realized 69.9. This man, Jesus, is in tune with the heart and the passion of the Lord. Why? Because the zeal for your house has eaten me up. When I think about the Apostle Paul in chapter 11, the end there down on 29, it says, who can be weak and I not be weak? Why? Because of my daily concerns for the churches. I see this in a prayer. Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 17. So now our God, listen to my prayer, to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Okay, the temple had been sacked by the Babylonians. and Well, just about anybody came down the street. And he believed that the temple had been desecrated. Desolated sanctuary. Oh my God, verse 18, incline your ear and hair. Open your eyes and see your our desolation and the city which is called by your name so that we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Now listen to verse 19. This is the passion of Daniel. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen. Take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. 
Why did he want the temple restored? For his name's sake. Paul was feeling that very pain in his contrast of loyalty versus disloyalty. The honor versus dishonor. Paul's concern for the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? If someone is weak in the church, then it weakens me. And that was saddening and broke his heart. Why? If someone is in sin, how can I not be concerned? Why? Because it dishonors God. All in the basis of whatever dishonors God is in someone's life. And it was heartbreaking to the Apostle Paul. How would you like to have spent two years, day and night, teaching from house to house to establish this church, and then the false come in after you have moved on, and you come back for a surprise visit, they wrongly accuse you of all kinds of things, and no one in that congregation defends you. How can you be loyal to my God? Paul was feeling the pain of God being dishonored. That is the care of the church. People don't understand that. I know what people try. They've got a website out there right now. I haven't looked at it in years. But I thought it was kind of comical. That all the churches that are looking for pastors and all pastors who are looking for church. And they would put on there what they're looking for. And it was astonishing. I know what the the churches are looking for. I read through this and think, this is stupid. There's nothing in there to... Do you ever read your Bible? You know, we would like to have a pastor who reads his Bible. That's an interesting concept. You know, you got a degree in business? We would like a pastor who has a degree in sociology so he can interact with the lost and the believers. What? What about the Bible? See, the care of the church, the concerns of the church, is not an administrative duty. You know, doing things you don't like to do. That is not caring for the church. Care of the church is feeling the pain of God being dishonored. That is caring for the church. There is no greater issue. Paul was overwhelmed with his concern that the Corinthians be loyal, be devoted to God. And he had a godly jealousy that was firing that engine. He's wanted them to stop being disloyal. He is worthy of loyalty. He is worthy of loving obedience in every aspect because devotion to God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Every dimension of you is loyalty to God. Listen, listen. I can honestly tell you Right now, there is no more serious issue in your life than that right now. I don't care what you're dealing with. Your loyalty to God is the utmost priority of everything you do 
or you don't do. And yet I watch us as people wander around chasing aimlessly after absolute absurdity. Oh, yeah, I know what the Bible says. Really? But you need to understand, Terry, I worship in my own way. You know what? Tell him that when you see him. Because I just gave you a very thumbnail sketch of his jealousy of you worshiping anything. Three chapters on creation. Do you know that? Three. You know there's 43 on worship? What do you suppose is important to the Lord? And we are to be loyal to that. Paul was jealous for the Corinthians. And he was jealous for the manner of their disloyalty. That was driving him buggy. He says, what you may hear me doing and you see me doing, you may think this is foolish, but let bear with me because for this reason, I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy. Why? Because I am concerned about your loyalty to God. Paul had serious heartbreak with these people. And yet, the serious danger of our God being a fire, a consuming fire, and a jealous God should scare the bejesus out of everybody. Why? He doesn't tolerate it. He's not going to put up with it. Paul's concern for the church was because he had a godly jealousy that God was being dishonored. If you read in 1 Corinthians, the chaos that was the worship of the Corinthian church, you can see where that would bug him. I mean, when you t- you're telling me that under the name of grace you can have extramarital affairs? Really? What? It should have been a mega church. Okay? You guys are boasting that a man has his father's wife. Well, that's just flat out creepy. And yet, look what we did. You boast of that? And you don't think that their loyalty had a problem. That's what I want us to think about. A servant's loyalty, because if you're going to be in a spiritual battle, you've got to ask yourself a simple question. What are you loyal to? What are you loyal to? Now, I talked to my, my son and he takes took to become a soldier. He takes the same oath that a politician takes to def- defend and uphold the Constitution against enemies foreign and abroad. Okay, all right. He takes the same oath. Okay, but if you ask him, when he was in Afghanistan, he was in uh, he called it a bad neighborhood, and he was shot at every day. And he says, you know what? It didn't take you very long. To realize you weren't fighting for the Constitution. You were not fighting for the American flag. You were not fighting for the Afghanis. You weren't fighting for the Afghan Constitution. You were fighting for the guy right beside you on the left and the right and the guy right behind you. Because you all want to go home. And he says, you have a loyalty. To those guys. He said, some of these guys are knuckleheads. That's why everybody is so mad about uh, that guy that they just traded the, t- the people for. He walked away. Where is his loyalty? 
Listen, there's a lot of things the government does that you scratch your head, but you need to be loyal to the people around you. Okay, question. You're a child of God. Who are you loyal to? Who are you loyal to? I've had a couple of weeks to digest this over and over and over and over again. And um, I will tell you that I have been neglectful of not holding some people's feet to the fire of their loyalty or disloyalty. But when God convicts me, amen, brother, I will take care of it. And when my God is dishonored, I will point it out to the person who dishonors my God. Because that's what you and I were called here for. And if you're going to be a servant of the Lord God, you had better have loyalty to Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for my brother Paul. Father, the amazing things I think about Daniel and I think about Jesus in the temple. Think about the psalmist. Father, I stand in awe. Father, may each of us here be devoted to you. To you alone, Lord. We cannot serve two masters. Father, let us understand that it is a battle. It is a battle. And yet, Father, you have already given us the victory. Let us stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let us stand in the power and the authority of your holy word. In the comfort of your spirit, the joy of our salvation, and the fellowship of the saints. We praise you. We love you. In Christ's name. Amen.